Hey, welcome to another episode of RNS on the Never Sleeps Network. I'm your host, Alex Ross. This week is a big week for Never Sleeps Network. We are getting into a phase of our company where we're adding on some amazing new shows. A lot of announcements are going to be coming in October. A lot of new shows. We've already been recording tons and tons of episodes for some new, exciting, hilarious shows. I just want to say a big thank you to all the support we've had from the industry, everyone who's come on to our shows, talked to our interviewers. Be, be interviewed because we understand that you want to promote yourself, but it's not easy, you know, to take time out of your schedule when you're trying to work hard and to come onto this uh, platform. We really appreciate all the support we've been getting on social media. We have an Instagram page, we have a Twitter page, we have a Facebook page. So choose, you know, your favorite social media and let us know what you're interested in seeing more of. Who do you want to hear more of? We have a lot of great new content, but of course, our solid base content that we started with you know you better don't um speech bubble these are the shows that are really getting the word out in their community you know speech bubble is huge in the comic book community in toronto and you better don't is getting huge in the comedy scene in both here in toronto but of course in la and we're just really happy to be able to be continually continually whatever word it is to be doing this for you and for us. And, you know, we couldn't do it without the people taking their time out of their day to come and talk to us. You for listening, checking us out on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your preferred social media is. We're working hard to bring Toronto some really good content and I think it's it's it shows because we're getting you know the right support from the right people and and now that we're growing as a company we can do some bigger better things so you know this is a perfect introduction for my guest on this episode because Kyle Hickey is a great representation of working hard understanding what your goals are and reaching them and understanding what the next goals are to follow Kyle is from Halifax moved to Toronto, uh, only to then be recognized, you know, by the Halifax Comedy Festival and go back to play his hometown. You know, he made the right moves. We talk about his motivation. We talk about hecklers. We talk about the bachelor diet. Uh, Kyle's just a gem to talk to, just a really down-to-earth guy. He's actually opening up for Jerry D, October 15th. At the Yuck Yucks in Toronto That's a huge deal Jerry D is one of the biggest touring comedians Of the last 10 years in, in Canada Of course his show got really popular We're actually hoping to interview uh, You know Cast members from the Jerry D show I can't you know reveal too much uh, But Kyle Hickey Is the perfect person to open for Jerry D. Not only do they have different dynamics and, and kind of different speeds, but just their overall appeal. You know, Kyle's this big, tall, huge, bassy guy, and Jerry's this little, you know, funny, small in comparison. You know, both of them just have an incredible dynamic, and that's definitely a show you do not want to miss. Also, check out Kyle Hickey's album. We talk about it on the podcast, Experimental Phase. It went to number one on the comedy charts on iTunes when first released almost a year ago, and it's still available. And you can see Kyle Hickey at Yuck Yucks and some of the alternative clubs. We also talk about all this and more on this episode of Ross Never Sleeps.
You drive over here? No, I took uh, public transit. What's it like from your neck of the woods? It wasn't bad. I walked with my gal friend. Uh, she had to do some shopping along Bloor, so I walked from St. Clair to Bloor, and so I'm sweating. Okay, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> I took the bus from there, but uh, I walked with her, so now I'm very wet. So, Am I allowed to drink some of this? for you. Oh my gosh. How long have you been in Toronto for? Almost four years, I believe. Okay. Coming up, coming up on big number four. Your sophomore? My sophomore, that's right. I think I might stick around for the fifth year. Yeah. That's do right. the victory lap. Do the thing. Do the Shane Battier. So what drew you to Toronto? Is it the comedy scene? Is, did you see the boom happening four years ago? And you're like, I need to get on that as soon as possible. Well, there's a Yuck Yucks in Halifax. So I would always have Torontonians or at least comedians from Toronto coming through. And I had just finished university. I was going to St. Mary's University in Halifax. And then after I had graduated, I was like, I had been doing comedy for probably about four years. And I think it was like the crossroads of like, do I want to be a teacher or do I want to go into education or do I want to try and pursue something that I truly love and I really, you know, feel I'm excelling at. And then, uh, so I, I just packed up everything and came to Toronto for comedy. You have to be in Toronto. Why is that? Uh, because there's more stages, there's more auditions, there's, uh, the, the best comedians are here. So you elevate your game because you're performing with the best people. Uh, and there's just always a bunch of young comedians who are dying to get your spot. So you got to elevate your game that way as well. I'm dying to know the comparisons from Halifax, mm. you know, obviously you go back, you do yeah. the Halifax comedy, uh, festival over there. Yep. How do you have to change your set even, or, you know, how do you adapt to different cities as you, being a Yuck Yucks comedian, you tour all over Canada? I do. I get it's different because there's just a, a hipper crowd and stuff, I guess, here. Like, there's just a lot of different, there's like four different rooms you can play in Toronto. There's like uh, the alternative rooms, which want obscure references and want uh, nonchalant and don't want too much polished stuff. Uh, and then there are clubs, which are like Yuck Yucks Absolute. They want more of a tight set. They want it with the callbacks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you have pot rooms, which are where everyone's just high and they just stare at you and nod uh, and then you <laughs> get decent at doing that and then there's just like shitty open mics and that's where you're just honing all the stuff for those there's not all of those things in Halifax. There's one club. Uh, there's a couple open mics, maybe. There used to be a club called Jokers when I first started, and Picnic Face was really big when I first started. So there was like a, a boom of comedy. I would use that term in uh, the sense of comedy was getting really big. Trailer Park Boys films there. And this hour is 22 minutes. Like there's always comedy coming out of Halifax, but it's just not known perhaps for uh, having the best stand-up scene you know like it, it's tough to get noticed i didn't get the halifax comedy festival until i came to toronto wow yeah isn't that kind of weirdly serendipitous they just want to see that you're playing with the big dogs you know okay. like i had to showcase here and show that i'm i can hang with everyone else you know like they they want to have a token guy or girl comedian from halifax but they also want to make sure that uh you're gonna you're gonna do well and who are some of the big halifax comedians that's opened the doors for you um, I guess Peter White's like a, a good friend of mine and he's like a guy that I always uh looked up to. Um like Picnic Face was huge, so Mark Little like was like an influence on everyone like when I, I had just started. Uh Nathan McIntosh had moved out and uh, done well. Peter Anthony had done the same thing. 
Yeah, I, I, I never like looked at it like, hey, they made it so I, I can do. I just thought like, all right, what the fuck am I going to talk about tonight? You know, like it was always just like, how am I going to get any of these jokes to work? I never really, I don't I even think about moving to Toronto when I started. It just was like, I just had this weird craving, like this weird reason to do. I don't know. Like I just gone through a breakup. I just had to get out and do something, you know, like whatever it was. And so comedy happened to be that. And then I was just like, well, I want to do this forever. And just has always kind of rolled into the next. And every year I've kind of done something different and done something bigger and done something better. Uh, I haven't hit my head yet. Hopefully I won't. Or just like we'll have one year where I'm just skidding and not getting shit, but I've always been lucky. But because there's like a lack of scene, let's say, in Halifax, how are audiences, how do they receive your shows? Is it like, you know, because there's a lack of shows, all the hecklers, let's say, are like ready. They're like waiting for that day where that comedy comes so they can like have a few pops and scream. Oh, you'll get heckled in Halifax for sure. Absolutely. That's just like the East Coast mentality. If you're not like bringing it, then they're going to probably say something. It's funny because it's not... A city that kind of warrants that? No, well, no, yes and no. Like, if you get hammered late night in Halifax, people aren't holding doors for you at that point. Like, it's that East Coast mentality, like, we'll have fun and, like, drink. But, like, there's there's a, an angry side to the East Coasters as well. You Why know? do you like, think that is? Uh, because they're just drunken fishermen. We all just come from uh, just getting drunk and rowdy and... Being with our friend, yeah, I don't know. Like hockey, I guess was like a big thing there. Like, you know, you, you grow up with aggression through that. I don't know, man. But uh, the club scene was always great. It's just tough when there's only one club. They can't have you every weekend. You know, like the the same people are going to see your set. So you could do the club once a month if you're lucky, and those crowds are great. But it's just a matter of like. There's no other competition for Yuck Yucks in Halifax. It's just that. So to grow, you got to get out. Now I can do Ajax and Mississauga and Niagara Falls and Hamilton and uh, Vaughn and the downtown club here. You know, like there's a bunch. I'll go and do the Ottawa club. Like in Ontario alone, there's so many Yuck Yucks. You know, you're just working more. And when I'm working more, I'm getting way better. And how many shows do you for Yuck Yucks on average, say a month or a week? I don't know. Like through Yucks, I guess here, probably like eight. Yeah, I would say like I'll host amateur night sometimes. Eight or a do month. like a Yeah. Yeah. Like you get three with or four with the, the club. You got to do your own thing, too. Absolutely. Like you can't rely on any single person in this industry for your income. So as a Yuck Yucks comedian, what other alternative clubs are you looking to do? Um, well, how do we get into that? <laughs> um, you know, like uh, you just book yourself around. The, the, there's a, a bunch of people who are setting up shows around the city who, who want to Get, get, get you stuff and then there's I, I, people who are contact you who are setting up shows outside of the city or then there's you know yeah there's there's other shows you know vapor central pays and you know there's a oh there's, that's great yeah yeah you always you you get compensation for it's interesting i did put you on the spot a little bit because <laughs> i am aware as a yuck yucks comedian it's a touchy subject yeah. you know you are expected to work at yuck yucks do mm-hmm. your thing there you're under contract there's not a lot of negotiation and yet you're a comedian that's trying to put their name on the map Absolutely. So how do you get with the big leagues? You're like, okay, I'm here. You know, I'm on the big stage in a sense for, for what Toronto, that's one of the bigger stages. And at the same time, they're like, well, you know, you're a Yuck Yucks comedian now. You know, how does that affect you? Like, like I don't want to make you say anything or talk about things you don't want to talk about. No, but, no. But let me know. Mind. Let me know that struggle. Like, it's it must be tough. 
It's getting tougher now. Like they have given me amazing opportunities always. Like since I've gotten here, like I started on their Wednesdays and now I'm a, I'm headlining for them. I just uh, headlined two weekends back to back. They've been very kind in giving me things. I, I would never ever shit on yucks because they're the best to me. And uh, I'm a young guy and I think they're kind of helping me to get to that spot. Now there's always like a level that you you get to that maybe you you play theaters you don't play yucks anymore maybe you do their club sometimes but you know like uh, i want to get into corporates so if they can help me with corporates that would be great now i'm not going to just rely on on just my agents i last christmas uh, a friend and i we just booked our own schedule pretty much we just cold called bars we we were just setting it up while we were back out east and we did did great. We had a good good time. We uh, talked to Yucks about it. They were cool about uh, what we were doing. And so I'm getting better now that uh, I, I don't mind selling myself. Yucks has given me I, I have no other time to get like 45 minutes in front of a club and get better, you know? So that's, that's what I'm getting right now. Now, if the, the end game isn't to always just be a headliner for yucks, that's not anyone's goal, you know? Like the, the goal would be to start selling out theaters or to start selling out my own shows that are bigger than, than yucks. I can always still work with yucks for one nighters, you know? We can always do that. And I'm not in any place where I can leave now and fucking start selling out theaters but you know they're, they're great for me and we're both using each other to get better and we both have the same goal in mind we both want to make money for each other and that's what we have a good working relationship right now and that's so important i don't think enough comedians have the essential skills to sit down book their own shows even outside of yuck yucks you know like you were saying it's a struggle that you and your friend had to do yuck yucks is not going to do that for you no because they've just got a lot of other people and what do you think about the you know, comedian that doesn't have the ability to do that, whether socially or they just don't have the business sense, which because a lot of comedians, let's be honest, like <laughs> you're an artist, you put all your effort into your art form. And then they ask you, here's a phone, here's internet, here's all these things. Now go book yourself yeah. after you've done your 10,000 hours. Yeah. I've always just been way better at like, let me worry about the material and I, and you just tell me where to go. It's, tougher now because this is what i do for a living i don't work another job i do this and i act as well like i've, I've done some a bunch of commercials on that. On that. Don't <laughs> so, worry. but i've been lucky to always draw an income now for the people who and i have lots of friends who are have finding it tough or they find it phony to sell themselves uh or whatever uh, ha, you know you, you you find it tough because we are so susceptible to make fun of phoniness to call people phony that and there are certain comedians who who come off that way like if you're selling yourself too hard as a comedian you come off like a used car salesman like i've i've seen people at like comedy bar where they're really selling yourself and you're like you have done fuck all and people are like looking at you like you're a dummy because you're just bragging about shit you've done nothing but you're bragging about it so there's a difference between selling yourself and just being a fucking idiot brag artist am i allowed to curse on this you can fucking swear yes. as much as you want now you have to be able to like 50 percent of this is being funny the other 50 percent is probably networking like the majority of the opportunities you get is because they're gonna say can he deliver can she deliver as far as material is concerned are they okay to work with Am I going to have to put up with some shit? Are they going to cause shit because the lighting's kind of bad? Or are they going to be pissed because they only get two drink tickets? Like, if you're a, if you are a decent human being to work with, you're going to get a lot more opportunity. Oh, and it's so easy to see the difference between people who are easy to work with and not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I find it's very difficult as a comedian, not me personally, but just a comedian, to go up in front of an audience who works 40 hours a week 
at a job that they may or may not like. And then a comedian goes on and basically says, this is my job. Look at your job compared to mine. I woke yeah. up four minutes ago and now I'm doing my... And like, I think there's a difference between a great comedian and a not so great comedian where they're able to kind of make fun of people for their everyday lifestyles, but in a way that's kind of... I don't know. I guess it's perspective driven. Sure. You know, y y there's nothing worse than being an audience member and being insulted and going just for a good time. And then like we want to have like introspective, you know, in, in we want to think about what this comic is saying, even if it's about us. Yeah. You know, even if it's introspective. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to laugh at myself in my life. I don't want to feel bad about myself and to and that therefore other people are going to laugh because of that i feel like it's hard to play a room as a comedian period hmm. but uh, again a lot of comedians will go out of their way to kind of make fun of the 40 hour work week the desk jockeys you know you call it what you will and i think that people are using this comedy show as an escape from that kind of lifestyle let's right. say and a comedian will go hey I, you know this is what i do for a living find me funny because you don't do this i know this i don't think that's the way to sell that no god no that's the opposite of comedy that is like comedy is 95 percent. i'm just throwing stats out there by the way cool. i'm just gonna we'll put percentages after, yeah. no, don't yeah. please don't <laughs> don't fact check any of this but emotional vulnerability is the most important thing to comedy it's like you can't be the cool guy in all the jokes. You can't be like, so I was banging this chick and she fucking loved it. You know, like that's not a joke. Somewhere in that sex, you'd have to be screwing things up. Things would have to be going wrong and it'd have to be sort of your fault. It couldn't just be the, hey, this girl, she didn't know how to suck my dick. Like that's gone. Like that comedy, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe it works in some forms, but for, for where, where I'm writing and the stuff that I like, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm fucking this up. Like the relationship stuff that I write about typically it's not like how dumb my girlfriend is and then if it ever is I'm just as dumb typically in the joke somewhere along the line you know like you just can't be the cool guy and I see some young comics or certain comics that are like uh, you know they're talking about how cool they are on stage and how everything's going well and the crowd just doesn't you go to London try and play that shit they're gonna be like fuck you I'm angry right <laughs> I just it's worked. gotta be it's gotta be relatable and you just gotta be you, they gotta laugh at you a bit you sure. can't be the coolest guy throughout the 45 or whatever you're doing you gotta so when you are dumping on them you've already dumped on yourself a bit or whatever like uh, and some people like being dumped on I went to Windsor Ontario to do a goddamn comedy competition and I did well in the first round and I advanced uh, with a, a local guy and then a, another very funny comedian. And then the next night, the very funny comedian went up first and they just gave him nothing. Like they were waiting for their friend to go on third. They were just nothing. He just cruised through his set for 10 minutes, did nothing. So the host goes up and he's like, all right, keep it going for September. And now Kyle Hickey, like he doesn't even do a joke. So I just go out there to nothing, tepid applause. And I, I did one joke and they hated it. And I just went into like, who the fuck do you think you are, Windsor? Like, you, start, you, you started think, saying this? Oh, I just started going into them. I was like, you piece of shit city. Is this the best thing you got? Come support your friend and you can't laugh at the others because you're angry because you live in. And they started laughing and they started loosening up. They wanted me. And then I did a joke after and they're like, no, no. No, no, go back to oh, hating Jesus. us. Like sometimes you have they they like confrontation, but you know, like it's it's certain crowds. But if you want to put your act together, like from start to finish, not have to just rip it. You know, you're not gonna have to deal with hecklers nine times out of ten. I need another stat. Don't look that up. Yeah. But like you know, people just want to see emotional vulnerability when you're just doing your act. You know, they want to see that you're 
you're, you're fucking up too. You're, you know, cause so many comedians too have that joke of like, I'm not a man, you know, like, or I'm not, like so many guys have that. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, but like uh, eventually that's kind of a worn out joke, but they just want to see that you're not perfect. And the cool guy comedian's been done. Yeah, Dice Man Dice was man. done, and now it just, uh, you know, I'm sure he, I would he's laugh. he's over it. Yeah, well, he's, he's like, not the character as much anymore. He's, like, slipping out of it. He's got a son now. He's got a son. Yeah, yeah he talks, it was all just he's a like character, a dad now, you know? I know, and, yeah. it, and, and I think even he's like, okay, like, the world pop culture right now doesn't need this guy anymore. How do I relate to them? How do how does Dice Man right. become the everyman? And yeah. that's basically his bit right now. Is it? He's still doing stuff. Oh, I bet, and I bet you it's hilarious he couldn't do that forever you know and you learn as you go no no way you're in the industry for 30 years and you don't learn anything you know what i mean i'm, I'm saying like I, I the best comedians have been around for that long because they've continually learned i mean that's why jerry's still on the top that's right you know even louis yeah yeah you can you can tell these guys are adapting you know jerry seinfeld especially like comedians in cars uh getting coffee is the most adaptable thing i've ever seen a famous person do without having actually doing their shtick. Oh yeah. Well, you know, he, he realized it was gotta be small episodes for the tension span. It's gotta be interesting. The right people. If you're not adapting as a comedian, whether it's you moving from Halifax to Toronto, these are these little lessons that you learn. Like some mm-hmm. are obviously bigger. Like I'm using jo- Jerry Seinfeld as a, obviously the, the watermark. My point here is if you're not growing as a comedian, you're st- you're playing the same clubs, you're staying in the same city. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have the conversation on the show like do you have to move out to LA? Do you have to move to New York, you know, to make a name for yourself in Toronto? What's yeah. your what's your thought on that? Probably. Like the more that I'm here, like I've always said like I had the 5-year plan, so I'm like almost at 4 and then at 5 I'll kind of see what I've done and what I haven't done. I just feel like there's certain things I have to do before I go to L.A. Like, I'd like to do Just for Laughs, but maybe I just won't get it until I go to L.A. I didn't get the Halifax Comedy Festival until I went to Toronto, you know? What so a maybe, lesson. That's a great lesson. So maybe that's, uh, I have to go there for them to see. Like, that seems to be the thing sometimes. They're like, oh, oh, they like him? Oh, well, the, we, he's ours, you know? Like, we, he's Canadian. Let's have him back here, even though we wouldn't give him shit when, uh, when he was here. Did you meet your girlfriend in Toronto? I did, yeah. Do you ever have that conversation with her? You're like, hey, like, I'm a comedian. Like, if I'm going to want to, you know, learn more lessons i'm gonna need to go to other places yeah i think she knows she knows kind of the the deal like i don't think she wants to live in la like because she's a normal human who the fuck would want to live there (laughs) it's another planet it's just like i don't know why you know like we have a nice city here i don't know why we would go to la outside of just me so i think i would probably just go for like a term basis you know like i would go for a couple of months at a time like i don't think i would pack up and move everything there and you're from the east coast you mm-hmm. know like even toronto is a huge move for you yeah yeah you know well i'm just very far away from my family and stuff and that wouldn't hinder my decision to go to la it's just like i don't even know where to begin like i just started really doing some decent stuff here like i feel like i'm getting some traction here do i really want to go all the way back to the bottom again and that's why i wanted to have you on because i see that Oh, well. Yeah, no, I do, I do. What do you miss the most about Halifax? Uh, Family and friends, yeah. like That's pretty much it. Donairs are delicious. Just made one by myself, though. Oh, it was delicious. You homemade a Donair. Okay, can you explain this for those who don't know what a Donair is? A Donair, it's like a euro, like if people know what a euro is. Like a euro, like a Greek euro. Pretty much. It's like a... 
and then they slice it and they fry it like they have it in one of those big rotisseries, but it's like, you know, but vertical uh, and it spins around all day. And then they put it on a pita with onion and tomato and like the sweet sauce. Did and you make is, your own sauce? I made my own sauce. And how was that? Delicious. It's really easy. It's uh, uh, condensed sweetened milk and uh, vinegar and you just whisk the shit out of it and that's it. So like a little homesick, you yeah. know, a little Yeah, that's, that's what it was. It was my girlfriend's family never had a Donair. So I had uh, got as a present this Donair spice. So I was dying to use it. Come so on. it took a while to do, but they were goddamn delicious. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I'm really getting into like cooking and stuff. So you were never really a big cook? No, because I didn't cook for myself. You know, like when, you, when you're with someone, you just tend to cook more or whatever, you know, because sure. like, I'm not going to make a big meal for myself, right. you know, like for dinner for one, I would just have tuna fish and eggs and i still eat yeah. the shit of those things all bachelor the time bachelor 101 baby i was loving it yeah uh, all your protein you'd ever need <laughs> I, I, it's true it's hard to get out of that i all i eat is basically eggs and tuna yeah and i, I do i still hard boil eggs like every morning i eat like three hard boiled eggs well you're a big know. dude oh well thanks i was yeah. much bigger i lost no, some weight yeah i mean you're like a fit big dude oh, you're, thanks. yeah you're like know. what are you like six four i'm six six Holy shit. Yeah, big tall guy. Sneaky tall. No it's one ever believes eggs. it. It's a lot of <laughs> eggs. That's six feet and six inches of just hard-boiled eggs. So were you a big seafood eater, too? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love so seafood. So it's like lobster here is like $40. It's insane. It's Even back out there, it's like insane, too, getting, right it's now. It's getting more expensive, I hear. It's just like my grandfather was a fisherman oh, wow. uh, in Newfoundland. Like that's uh, where all of my ancestors basically were just fishermen, either in Ireland or in uh, Newfoundland. And the poor kids would eat like lobster sandwiches because all of the fishermen would just come back. It wasn't big at that time. Mm -hmm. So like my dad grew up eating lobster sandwiches, like, and it was just known as like the poor kids meal. And now it is like, you know, fucking $14 a pound. Like it's insane out there. So I just went back. No, I just got everything except that pretty much. I think we did it one night. Like we just splurged and got it, but like mussels are like cheap. Okay. So that you yeah. just make the shit out of mussels. Maybe you get some salmon, scallops, that kind of stuff. Wow, but the like, seafood's just pouring out of there, though. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, we did it upright. I just got back, and we had a big old scoff. Amazing. Yeah. Let's get back to your comedy Please, career. make me brag. Yeah, let's talk about your, your album. Mm. You, you did a comedy album. Now, I read that it went to number one on iTunes. Now, is that the comedy section? Was that like a comedy album-specific section? That is correct. So, the album's called Experimental Phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, How long ago did that release? That released in October 2015. Okay, so not even a year old. Not even a year old. Uh, Almost a year old. You saw it hit number one? Yeah. What was that feeling like? You finally saw it. You're like, oh my God. Like, What was your feeling? It felt nice. Like, I I know a lot of people have kind of done it here before like you could, because if you sell a bunch in a small amount of time then you shoot there you sure. know pretty quick yeah now i got there and i was there for a couple of days which was nice and then i eventually just kind of petered off but it was great it was nice it was good publicity for it too and it was good uh, you know to to put it in there and uh you know have have that little quote in in the bio or whatever but it was good. I had talked about doing it for a really long time and uh, like the stars aligned. So I recorded at the downtown Toronto club and it was actually the first time I got to headline that. So I recorded a show Friday and two shows Saturday and just kind of cut it together. And uh, yeah, it, it was cool, man. It was cool to see my artwork. Like when you opened up your, uh, your phone and like it just said the comedy section, it would be kind of my, uh, my artwork there. So it, it was cool. Like, you know, it, it, I didn't, 
fucking, you know, like jizz my pants or anything, but it was like, hey, nice. That's that's cool. But it's affirmation. It felt good. You know what I mean? Like I feel like as an artist, you don't get a lot of acclaim. You know, you you do your shows, you know, you'll get your envelope at the end of the night. But at the end of the day, as aside from a few fans being like, Great show. Mm. You know, we love this. It's it's a business. You're still a part of a business. It's hard, you know. What's the next move? Yeah, like, well, uh, like, it's always a question of, like, does anyone give a shit? Right. <laughs> does anyone, like, I'm surprised you even want to talk to me, you know? Like, oh, do, does anyone care what I'm doing? So when I do, I just went home and put on my own show and sold a place out on, like, five days notice, just kind of threw it together. And it was, like, amazing to feel that, to feel that gratification that people are invested in whatever it is I'm doing, whether they're buying the album or they're paying to come see me specifically. Cause when I do a yuck yuck show, it's like, okay, they're here because it's yuck yucks. They didn't see Kyle Hickey and they're like, you know, sometimes so they, they might know my name and they'll come out, but like to put on a show by myself and to have it sell out or to put out an album by myself and for people to go out and specifically buy something for like quote unquote fans. I don't know. Like if that even exists in my uh, world, but like it, it feels nice that people give a shit because sometimes you forget when I'm just like, you know, drowning in open mics here or whatever it is, you know, you're like, does anyone even would, would, would I buy my own thing? You know, like is self doubts constantly creeping well, in. Even if it shoots to number one, just because of the quick, you know, attention it gets, you kind of realize it's not your mom and your family buying no. this album anymore. No, God, no, no, they don't even know how. I wouldn't know where to begin. My dad took a picture of himself and thinks he lives in there. What's it like writing and recording an album? Like the pressure, like you have to make sure that people laugh. Do you tell them that it was a recording? Yeah, the people who sat them down did. And I found that they were even more responsive because of that. It was like a worry of just making sure that it it, uh, sounded okay. You know, like I just didn't want it to sound canned. I didn't want it to sound bad because uh you know the the goal is to get it on xm radio too like that's what uh, most comedians are doing this for absolutely and they're playing it which is very kind very nice of them again it was like one of those things where it's like nice they don't have to play this they're being not they're listening to my bits they're enjoying them and they're saying hey these other people are going to enjoy these so it's more goddamn goddamn it i need positive affirmation <laughs> what a freak yeah, but god damn it i know you're kidding but it's part of the business if you're not, <laughs> it's unfortunate if you're not getting it you're not doing your job. Yeah, it's true. Like if you're not if you're not feeling that, but uh, yeah, it, it, the writing process had taken all you know, like six years or however long I'd been doing stand up. So it was everything. So it was just like this is all of it. This is everything I've written, and that's why I called it experimental phase because it was a lot about my twenties. I had just turned thirty, uh, so the the narrative of it was like you know experimenting with uh, drugs or having relationships early in your twenties, starting to take yourself more serious, starting to you know decide where my life is going and all these sort of things um you know pregnancy scares those uh, so that's why i thought okay well that's what that is now i'll go into my 30s and i'll write a new you know more thought-provoking stuff and then like the next three jokes i wrote one was like my girlfriend honking my dick as a game and you know, i was like i'm not growing up at all i still find the exact same things funny i actually remember seeing you do that bit at the underground recently oh thanks also which i i think is on your album uh the bit about your mom smoking pot uh not the the one the version you heard was not on it i have a a version but the one where i get stoned with my mom right that that's not on the album that's new and is that come from a true place uh it does and it doesn't it comes from um i love the bit 
that Dave Chappelle did where he says uh, to his son, uh, you came out of my balls, man. Uh, and my mom, that always made her laugh. And I uh, like... So I thought it would be funny if it was flipped on its head like a mum said that to a son, you know, like I thought that would be a funny scenario. So I'd already had a joke written about getting too high with my mom. So I was like, oh, that would be a funny payoff if the fact that she said you came out of my balls, man, like while we were high. So it came from a true place. But like the punchline came from like us laughing about the idea of her saying that. My favorite line is um, I date women like my mother and my mother's a pot smoker. She has bloodshot eyes. And so does my girlfriend. Eyes just like my, I'm totally butchering. This joke. <laughs> yeah, you did, but that's all right. You got around it. But the, it, it's a great line. Just, Thanks. Just really impressed. You know, taking really simple things that we are understand. St- like, ah, I'm really messing this up because I'm sorry. I killed that no, joke. Man. The idea that you're dating someone like your mother always such a great joke. Right. The fact that you're smoked pop with your mom, bloodshot eyes, and my girlfriend has the same eyes as my mother. I yeah. just love that payoff. The punchline is, um, yeah, because you say, uh, I date a girlfriend, she smokes pot. They say, go for girls like your mom. She's got that covered. Uh, she has my mom's eyes. Bloodshot. So the bloodshot's like the payoff sort of at the end. Yeah, that like fell into my lap. I literally came up with it on stage. It's a genius line. Well, that's very I kind really of you to like say. But it was like one of those ones where it just fell in there and it seemed so... I was like, where does that come from? Where to... You know, like, uh, yeah, that, that, thanks. Yeah, that does all right. That, that one does okay. What's your best source of material? She, I was trying to think of this the other day. I don't know. Like, I, I was in a slump for a couple weeks where I just couldn't write anything funny. And I started questioning, how did I even come up with all this other stuff? Like, I started looking at my material. I was like, I don't even remember how I did this. Like, did I write all this? Like, it's just so, I'm so in and out of it. Like, I'll be, I'll go on this tear. Like, as of late, I just feel like I just did some shows in Niagara and I'm like, I'm not tooting my own horn again. But while I was on stage, I was thinking like three words ahead. Like I was really doing well, like the last couple of times and I was taking chances and I was like engaged with them. I was really in the moment where sometimes I can really float out of my body and I can look at myself and I'm just saying the jokes because I have the words so down. Like I'm just like out of my body and I'm just performing. But when I'm in there and I'm in the moment, like it's just this magic thing, you know, like so I, I, I jot a lot of things down. Anything that I see while I'm on the subway, I'll jot things down. If my girlfriend says something, and I'm like. Like, you know, I start twisting it around and I'll start playing with it and I'll, I'll think of just like a few words at a time, like that she said, and then I'll put it in and, you know, it's, it's all just random obscure things that I'll find and then play with and toy around. And then I, I feel, you know, and I always say that, you know, getting better at writing, like, you know, I, I hope so. I'm like, my voice is becoming clearer and things like that. So there's no specific thing, um, right now, but it's a lot of relationship stuff. Like I just moved in with my girlfriend. So I've sort of been writing about that, uh, currently. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I don't know. You do have a great voice, so you should definitely look for more radio style opportunities. Yeah, no, take advantage of you, you. It's your tool, right? Well, I went in for uh, Virgin ninety nine point nine. They were looking for um, people to maybe do some writing and stuff. So I went in, did an interview, made them laugh in the interview, and then they were like, "Hey, do you want to stick around? Maybe you can write some jokes." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. I ain't got nothing to do. It's like fucking seven in the morning. What the shit else am I doing? Go home and get high." So we're sitting in there, and Tori Kelly comes in. Do you know? Do you know who Tori Kelly is? Precisely. We're the same human yeah, being. Yeah, I'm making a face. I think uh, she was on d- d- America's Got Herpes or whatever the, uh, okay. you know, one of those talent show things, <laughs> you know. So she, I guess, was doing very well. And she looks like a pop star. Like this girl 
comes sure. in. It's curly, beautiful blonde hair. Like she comes in with this fucking like seventy two people in her entourage. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, she she was rolling deep. You could tell like the record company's really churning this shit out. So she plays an acoustic song, uh, and like I'm I'm waiting in like the other room where we're doing the interview while they're out in like the acoustic room where they play all the songs and they've got headphones on and I don't know that they can hear me so Tori Kelly's telling this god awful story about uh, how Sam Smith her and Sam Smith were on tour uh, and the first time she sat down with Sam Smith and she sang for him Sam Smith started to cry and I just went doesn't that guy cry at everything <laughs> and the whole goddamn entourage looks over at me because I didn't realize they had had I didn't th- I was muted to like the actual radio but everyone because I was on the producer's mic where the producer's like hey five more minutes two more minutes like where they can't hear it and I'm like oh god so I never went back to 99.9 uh-huh. and I don't think they liked when I made she took herself so serious you know like yeah. and when you're a pop star I'm thinking in jokes all the time how I I make fun of myself uh, but she just does there's no humor she and doesn't deal with humor yeah. on a day to day basis it's a thin veil she was like oh i made him cry though that was like a serious story why would you say that you know it's unfortunate because you would think you're you're on the same page you're both artists you know just because your art is different you very you know what i mean you're still the same in a lot of ways like you're you're performing you know you can't take yourself so seriously i know but comedians are the best at that they have to take and like musicians take themselves so serious and i i respect them for that because i can't like i used to want to write music and shit when i was younger because you're like i feel this way and i want to play my guitar and sing about it but now to be that earnest is very difficult for me to be that open and not joke like i i find it very difficult i have to be joking a lot like i think if i had a dramatic role and i got into the the mindset and the headset but day to day like i could i don't think i could just sit there and sing for two hours about you know the goddamn girl that broke my heart and i'm not laughing about it you know like i i can't i couldn't imagine that we're learning so much about you today Kyle. <laughs> thank, thank you yeah i don't know if that's a good thing from anyway. wannabe musician yep. to comedian that's it and now you're doing some acting yeah sure yeah now did that come as in a, a like an, a, a part of the comedic kind of pursuit you know as a comedian you're like oh i could do some comedic roles or work on a comedic show or i could be a writer and slash actor how did it come about that you know is is acting just one of those essential things you have to do to get further in your career yeah probably yeah uh well it's all started with acting like when i was in high school i did a lot of drama like in junior high like whose line is it anyway was huge so we did like a short form improv kind of team that we'd get together and do a lot of short form improv and then i was in a couple plays and then in uh, high school we just had drama but they weren't doing a lot of plays so i kind of petered off so then i moved in with my buddy and we just loved drinking and talking about funny movie ideas so one day we just started writing a movie like we just started jotting a bunch of things down and then i started like writing a few bits down and my girlfriend found the book uh of all these bits and she called and tried to sign me up for like one of those amateur nights or whatever uh, the thing was okay and i like quit of me i like phoned them back and was like no i don't want to do that at all so my buddy was like well man like we should do something so we started doing improv like i i ended up the girlfriend and i broke up and i was like i need something to do you know like i you're just a single guy and you're like i have so much extra time so i joined like an improv team and then i started doing stand-up look at you so it started as like doing improv like again i had to be funny on stage and it was like i i'm not 
I sucked at remembering lines. The first role that I got, I was doing like a music video and they were shooting a short film for it as well. It's this Ghetto Socks commercial where I just look like an asshole the whole goddamn time. I can't even watch myself. Yeah, buddy. He's a rapper from the East Coast. And I was fucking my lines up so bad. The first day, I was so nervous. I had never been on set. My fucking handshake. I'm supposed to be talking to the phone. And so no one's talking back to me. It's just one of those ones where it's like, yeah, you got the package. Well, I don't think that's good. Oh, yeah? You want to say something like that? Like, I'm not playing off any other beats. I've got to, like, <laughs> pretend that there's another person talking. And I was fucking it up so bad. And it sucks when you're fucking it up. When I'm on stage and I'm fucking up, it's like, ugh, this guy. But when there's someone holding a boom, there's someone with a goddamn giant camera with a back brace because it's so heavy, he's got to wear a fucking metal spine <laughs> to hold it up, you know? So that's when... So I I was like, well, I just want to make things up. <laughs> it's just so much easier if I don't have a script. So improv was like the we ended up getting the music video and all that shit done. But so now I've gotten better with lines. Like now I, I'm just like more comfortable because I've done it more. I did like this Gillette wingman thing where I had to do a shit ton of lines in a small amount of time. So it was just like either get busy getting good at this or right. you're not going to get anything. See, again, this is why I like you, Kyle. You you I can see your metamorphosis. I can see you. picking. Ooh. Well, that's, listen, it's. I talk to a lot of comedians and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that the comedians that I've been chatting with are good at what they do. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not saying that we wouldn't talk to anybody who wants to come here just as much as we want to talk to you. We want them to want to talk to us. But I, I feel like the comedians that I saw that I'm seeking that I, I sought after are definitely progressive. They're mm-hmm. growing with the industry. And I think just like you said, and just like we talked about, there's a boom in Toronto right now. We talk about oh, this all huge. the time. It's so, the best scene. It's amazing. You had Foise on, on right? or not. I had Foise on. That's He's amazing. Right. He's he one of is my amazing. Oh, He's God, one yeah. of my favorites. And that's it too. This is just really, this podcast and my network, you know, I'm just really being honest here is an excuse to talk to my favorite comedians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just it. Yeah. We do a food show. I get to talk to my favorite chefs. Like, oh, it's just, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Speaking duck. Okay. That's our, that's our food show. I'll have to check that out. Foise and never in a million years could I really just walk up to him or his buddy DJ and be like DJ's amazing too you know like hey guys want to hang out you yeah. know like I I have this marijuana cigarette you guys want to hang out for five minutes they'll be like we could be weird. doing that right now but if I if I go to Foise I go listen I'm I've been watching you well I'm sure that's not going to work either <laughs> don't over with that <laughs> <laughs> but if I say to these guys you know like I, I go to the clubs I see you guys or if I meet you in the club I, I like to go to the alternative clubs you have more of an opportunity to talk to you guys to you in person. Mm-hmm. But again, like Foise came, we smoked a little pot and talked for an hour. Yeah. And, you know, no matter what, I get to feel like I'm successful in what I'm doing because I get to talk to the people and, and really share your stories together with me, with my listeners. And it's it's important to know that this comedy boom is happening in Toronto for a reason. We're, we're so fortunate to have you guys and we need to do more. I need to do this. Like I talk a lot about Sandra Badalini and she just recently wrote this post about, uh, there's no star system in, in Canada. So it's very difficult for you, especially in Toronto to make a name for yourself. And there's so much talent that goes to waste in this city. Mm -hmm. Not that it goes to waste. It just, the struggle is so real, so real. So I don't want to make this seem like it's giving back. I, I call it selfish giving. <laughs> you know, I get the opportunity to come and talk to you, learn about your struggle, get to share your experiences with, you know, there's so many comedians coming out of university or high school or whatever that are just looking for a voice, you know, and they'll go to shows all the time and see you guys. But this is the opportunity to really share your path so they can learn from you, whether it's your mistakes or experience 
your experience. And I think Jordan's a great example of that. And, and it was really fortunate to come and, and for him to come in on the show. And, and, you know, I think that eventually all of you guys are going to get where you want to be. Like, I, I wouldn't have you on the show if I didn't think you thought that way. So you need the confidence. Uh... I don't think it's confident. Again, we're talking about Jordan Foyze here. <laughs> I was going to say, Foyze doesn't strike me as a confident cool guy. I don't think cool it's guy. confidence. I mean, confidence comes with it. I, I I believe you guys are all confident in what you're doing or you wouldn't do it. Mm. But I think you guys all naturally know that, you know, it's only a matter of time. If I keep chipping at this, I'm going to make this sculpture. Hopefully. God, hopefully, man. You know. So back to your acting, I like the fact that the stuff that you feature in your bio is shows that you clearly aren't really being fed a lot of lines. You have MTV's Losing It, where you basically just... Just told the story of my first fuck. There you go. What was that like? I wasn't... I know MTV Canada, I don't know how many viewers they get. I guess it's in the millions. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But did you ever think about that? You're like, I'm going to go tell everybody that might watch this yeah. about how I lost my virginity. Yeah, it, it came down to the of whether or not I wanted to do it. Really? Like I, I submitted it the last day that you could because I was like, do I want to put it? Is this even funny? You know, like I wanted to make sure that the beats were there that I would at least get. And they ended up cutting out all of the funny things that oh, I said anyway. On. Well, they, that's not what they're looking for at the I same time. You know, like they wanted to be more like educational. That's how they're selling this whole goddamn thing. Um, so, educational. A little I, I, bit. I, yeah. I, I, my story would be so short. It would there'd be nothing <laughs> to learn. Yeah. yeah like. Well, I'm that, surprised these stories are very long. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's just like, well, they do like four of them in one. So you get like five minutes, basically, which is uh, about accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that, that was all right, man. Like it was, uh, I didn't even think about people seeing it. You know, I talk so freely about all that shit anyway. Like I, I, I'm not at all worried about people's impression of me. And the other show, Undercover Prank Show, Undercover, Undercover High. High. Yeah. So you're basically... What was, your, what was your role? I, had, I would have like an earpiece and I would go around to schools pranking kids. Uh, the first one was frightening. <laughs> yeah. I had never done anything like it before. And it was just me with the kids. And there's all these hidden cameras around. And I've got like a, a bug in my ear and they're feeding me lines. And the first one was uh, I was supposed to go in and I was working for like this energy drink. It was a Gatorade, but it's called Unicorn Boost. Uh, and we are uh, changing the wrestling team's like symbol to the unicorn. And we're like, you know, giving them... Uh, new orange unitards and all these things and that it was supposed to be a fight back like that's how a prank works they've got you got to catch them off guard and they got to not like it or they got to love it and then something happens and they're like what the fuck okay so this was supposed to be like they were supposed to be like no we don't want to do this and i'm supposed to like make them shoot a commercial and all this stuff but the kids loved it like they were just like hook line and sinker so the person in my ear is like no 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 like they're liking it this isn't good make fun of them so I'm like, make fun of it. Hey, what do you think? F- fatso? Like, like what am I, am I supposed to, I'm just berating kids now. I'm just making fun of these kids. So then we end up doing it and it's all good, but, but we didn't get what we wanted. So we had to, t- and I was nervous too. Like I'm probably fucking up my lines and stuff the first time through. But then after you do the first time, they got to pull all the cameras out and they're like, all right, kids, now that you know that you're in on it, we got to do reshoots because oh, we got to wow. catch everyone's expressions. We got to, they would, they don't catch you in the first one really. Like they're just catching expressions and then they pull everything around and they get your face and your things, you know, but then all of a sudden you're acting or you're asking a bunch of like 14 year olds to act who've never acted before. So every expression they're doing is like, <gasps> you know, like there's no subtlety to the acting. So that it was like a good uh, experience to like 
I, I, I obviously got better and better at pranking the more that I did it. <laughs> but, but honestly, of just like staying in character and fucking with kids and knowing where to get them and where how to maneuver them. Because a lot of it's like making sure they're on their marks so they're getting the, the faces. So it was okay. You know, the best thing was that like my cousins could watch it. My little cousins knew me from that. They're oh, not going to watch my, they're not going to listen to experimental face. But like, you know, I, I was in like six episodes and they, they love that shit. Same with my girlfriends, like little cousins, like that, that made me star around the dinner table. So acting was never necessarily, you know, something you thought about before doing these bits. And now you're kind of reaching and using your comedic ability to act. Yeah, I don't think I wouldn't say that it was never, you know, like I thought I was one of the kids who always like, you know, wished he was Tom Cruise at the Oscars, you know, just sitting there. Yeah, I I always fantasized about being an actor or a singer. I always craved attention as bad as I was like I was a class clown. Like I always like performing sports in front of people. Like I always I like that gratification of of making things. I, you know, I was like a rapper in high school. I used to rap a little bit. buddy. I'm not even fucking with you. Are you going to spit a bar for us? I couldn't spit anything right now. (laughs) But uh, that's the next album. Yeah, the next album is just all rap. But it's my bits, but I'm just wrapping them. That's that's not a bad idea. Yeah, right? I think there's a niche for that. There is. But I always loved performing, you know? So acting had always been something I kept in mind. Like, I always, like, looked up to Seth. And I loved Seth Rogen, but before that, like, Jim Carrey was, like, an idol of mine. Adam Sandler was an idol of mine. And I always liked Steve Martin, you know? Like, so I always thought comedic acting but i was like well how do you just get into that like if there's no like hey we're casting for the sequel to knocked up come down everyone you know like it's like you got to make a name for yourself if you want to be a comedic actor so, so what's improv your... and stand-up seem like the natural let's say let's say e1 or someone is listening right now all right what's your ideal role what do you want to play uh what do you want to write would you want to write and act in something yeah i've got a thing that i'm booting around oh. about a that's right here this is gonna be is the it pitch about meeting. a rapping uh, <laughs> it's about comedian? a rapping goof <laughs> who just couldn't make it as a rapper and had to become some asshole comedian uh, <laughs> a rapping asshole comedian yeah uh i have a idea i don't know like i'd love to be just leading man i don't have to be leading man like i'd love to i just want to write and act and something uh it's about a uh ex hockey enforcer who is now uh trying to become a boxer uh, interesting yeah so it's uh, uh hopefully like a dark comedy it takes place in like the east coast he moves back and there's like some local boxing uh, and stuff uh and i've been doing boxing for the last like two years so i was trying to like incorporate something that i'm already like decent at kind I of box. thing so do you i just came from my nice. boxing gym great where yeah. do you go so the my coach's academy is called ashukian's academy okay and they ashukian yeah her name is shannon ashukian she's armenian Okay. She's amazing. Yeah. She's one of the best people in the world, one of the best boxing coaches in the country, just an all-around amazing person. She trains her gym out of an MMA gym called Action Reaction MMA, and they're at like Finch and uh, 404 area, basically like McNichol and like Don Mills area. It's a bit so of a John for you. Well, yeah, but I'm right off the highway, as you can see here. It's yeah. it's it's worth it, right? Yeah. It's the coach, right? Like you, yeah. you got to travel. You develop a relationship because you really trust the person who's telling you all these things too. That you're just trusting that they know what they're talking about, and they're going to prevent you from getting hit in the head with, you know, an oncoming fist. Or just, it's amazing how you can injure yourself mm. and you got to be really careful. If you if you don't learn the basics from someone who's able to teach the basics, you're going to hurt yourself mm-hmm. and then you're never going to want to do it anymore. That's the worst when you're trying to be active and you're like, oh, this is obviously not doing 
is doing more pain than pleasure. Yeah. You know, and my mom always jokes, like, we always come in and the sore from the gym. And she's like, see, working out, always going to injure yourself. <laughs> you know, that's why I don't work out, because yeah. it makes you feel like shit. Like, it's, it's a joke, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's like, you know, if you didn't work out, you wouldn't be sore right now. Right. So, where do you train? Uh, I train at uh, United Athletics. It's on uh, Bloor. It's uh, like a non profit they call it but someone's making some money in interesting there. uh yeah so it's a uh, cuban boxing so it's uh it's it's great there was a guy there who was doing some classes who who was like uh, you say like he really was about more aggression than technique early on so i i would see some people who didn't know how to throw a punch and they'd be like kind of throwing them at each other because we would do like a circle and two people got to go in it's more like defensive stuff and there was a young kid who was like came in and he was just throwing haymakers like he had no idea what he was doing, but he was just so amped up because the guy's training method was like, come on, let's go. But he hasn't learned how to stop anything. So he had he drilled a gal uh, while they were training. I was like, this 16 year old's going to fucking get it. Like, oh, man. Just, and so I, I uh, punched him in the chest, you know, like just like we were just like sparring back and forth. And he was like, Whoa. and I was like, see, man, like, just take it easy. You don't yeah. want to make other people feel like that. Like for now, just chill, work on your technique. Stop trying to hammer people. That's not going to feel good. How does a non for profit or not for profit or non profit gym work exactly? I, I don't even at all know i don't know i don't know but he says it uh and he is a gr- gr- super cool dude like the, the people that run it are great people and hmm. they, they help uh some of the youth that's around there and uh, uh there's some amazing female boxers that are hanging out oh, around yeah. there as well yeah like yeah. there's there's some guys that beat the piss out of me oh no question i mean it doesn't matter who you are what you are it's technique it truly is yeah and it's about uh, angles yeah and it's, uh, it's footwork and one of the the original like sports of like america you know what i mean like it's a an easy way for people to have combat with technique and and you understand the difference between two guys who want to kill each other and two guys who actually want to have a boxing match that's why i think it's like such an admirable sport one of the one like i mean when i think about you know sports that have been in the olympics for as long as they have or just like sports that we put on a pedestal other other than the fact that boxing now with a whole controversial with like um mayweather or just money and 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 kind of the judging system judging system all that stuff even with ufc and all that stuff it's it's a little bit downhill since we we, where we first came from the original olympic kind of style it's just beautiful to watch it's it's an amazing art form i like to think and not very many sports anymore like have that kind of ability to put two people in a ring and just watch them perform art together you know gymnastics is one person you know a lot of these sports other than like synchronized stuff but you're on the same team it's two different approaches to the art mm. that you get all these combat sports i love and i love the new stuff too that they they add every year and in the judo and and brazilian jiu-jitsu is another wonderful sp- sport that teaches respect and, and it's so nice to see all these competitors that come out because that kid who came out with all those haymakers will one day get punched back in the face and realize i have to change my style whether that he realizes he doesn't want to get hit or he doesn't want to hurt somebody well that was learn. hopefully what my liver shot I uh, did. Was <laughs> that? It was like, oh shit, that didn't feel great. Well, if you have a sixteen-year-old that needs reprimanding, yeah. Well, you know what? He was probably seventeen. Okay. <laughs> he he was a bigger guy. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we end this conversation is about hecklers. You mentioned before uh, about in Halifax, they're definitely a lot more parent there than they are here. Last time I saw you at the underground you dealt with a, a heckler so beautifully like in the in the fact that he was obviously after he let the comment leave his mouth not only did you 
tear him apart. But you made him feel bad. And I and I, I'm not trying to say that that's a good thing. I'm saying that's an important thing because you're up there. You're doing your art form. He's paid his money. It's a respect thing. And then when you've crossed the line as an audience member, I think it's no holds bar. I think like, like the comedian has full range. And like sometimes it's tough for like the newbie comedians who are like awkward as it is. They have yeah. nothing to say. Yeah. But you beautifully handled the situation well, made him understand what he did was wrong. He kind of fell back. He was with a date, I think. And I think his date was like, oh, you're not getting laid tonight for sure. You really uh, broke him down. What are, what, how do you deal with hecklers? What, what did you learn from Nova Scotia that you're bringing over here with kind of like, are they harder over out there? Is Toronto, is it the same? Do you find it's a, it's the type of room? Uh, it's all kind of the same. It's like, random. It's very random. You know, like um, I think what had happened that night was that he guessed a punchline uh, or maybe something along he those lines. He he was trying to like uh, yell something out to tag it. Uh, so sometimes it can make you mad because people paid money or whatever, and you're you're in your set and you're already you're like, dude, I got to deal with this now. Or or if it happens like three times, that was fine because it was only one time. But I've dealt with people where it's like four times and then they got to get kicked out and it's a whole thing. Oh really? Yeah, and it sucks because when you're getting kicked out of a comedy club, especially, it's not like, hey, you got to go. And then they get up and they walk out. It's like, hey, you got to come pay your bill in the back and then <laughs> yell about that and then quietly scream more and then so i i'm as long as i'm not mad i'm good at it like when i can think clearly and i'm like okay what and and i learned uh mike wilmont had said before to let it breathe too like don't feel like you have to immediately jump down their throat because you'll think of something in that moment they're not going to say another funny thing in that extra moment they're they're not going to probably have a funnier retort for it so if they say something take a second and then you can say something unless you really have something you hammer them right after but i don't know you you the 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 big thing you don't want to deal with hecklers like that's i don't want that at all but like you know if it's something that i have to do i'm all right at it but the end game is to fucking hopefully just everyone just enjoy what i'm doing and feel like you don't have to yell things out but in the east coast they don't know necessarily that's the difference like toronto is more like you know you've been to the underground before you know how this shit works like i can just kind of like poke you down but for the east coast sometimes they don't even because like they're just used to cover bands like then most of the shows that you go to the East Coast, it's like people just in a bar and they're playing, you know, uh, the New Orleans is sinking and they can talk and they can just yell things out because that's just the atmosphere they're in. Sometimes they just don't know. They're like, yeah, boy, or whatever. They're screaming out and you're like, okay, relax, relax. You got to like, you know, let them know how it is. Like hopefully the host sets the stage and they don't. But, you know, usually it's either you're not bringing it in Halifax. They're going to let you know they don't like passive people or uh, they're just being drunk and surly. I like Mike, Mike Wilmot's advice, who, who's a vet. So he's mm-hmm. clearly, listen to that. he's seen it all. Yeah. Like it's amazing what somebody who thinks is going to get a laugh out of something and they just might. But if the more you put them on a spot, on the spot, yeah, they realize, oh shit. Like there's no good that I can fall. Like as a comedian, it's hard enough to follow your own jokes as a heckler. If you're left to like die. Oh yeah. And you're not going to say uh, the, in that extra moment, they're, the next thing they say isn't going to be funny. Like very rarely do you run into a funny heckler. And when you do, it's like fucking nice. <laughs> I've heard hecklers nail people. I was like, that was hilarious. That was really, it's even like sometimes you go on Twitter and some of these fucking trolls have funny shit to say like you're like god damn it if you weren't such an awful person you might be able to try and make something funny like maybe write a short screenplay you know because some of these people they don't they're funny but they just don't know what the fuck to do with it so they just 
it's like the destruction versus construction thing. You know, it's like you either construct it or you destruct it. So, and those people don't know how to put it all together yet. So they're just like, well, I'll fucking yell something out here. Sometimes it's fucking funny. How many comedians do you think are egging these trolls on to get material? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, that could be your next film. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or like a bio or a documentary, say, about uh, trolls and their effect. You know, I, it's amazing. It's a part of the industry now. Before there was no social media, you know, these hecklers left, you know, went home, pass out drunk, and mm-hmm. then live their life the next day. Yeah. There's no recourse. You know, there's yeah. now you can actually put a face even sometimes if they're, if they're not hiding behind their Twitter handle, but... Most of them are, though. Most of them just put it. some dumb picture in, and it's like, at, you know, fart sniffer 22. Like, it's nothing's real to them at that moment. It's just faceless shit. Well, I hope that you get more positive responses on Twitter. Oh, I'm not in any position where trolls hate me. No? No, of course you think not. You to, it's like a... You got to get to a certain level, man. Yeah, but then or I you got to be a woman. Then they fucking oh, hate women. Wow. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Is, yeah. But I feel like the trolls give you fodder. Like, I mean, like, I feel like like a heckler in the same way, it, you can turn it. Like, how many people have gotten more famous or famous from just tearing apart a heckler that's been caught on someone's cell phone? And then that's the that's next so million weird. dollar view. And I, I see that, like, I, I thought about that for a while because that is... People, and I used to do it all the time. I used to write in like heckler slammed into YouTube and then you'd watch a million of those. You know, it's like bully owned. I love those like bully karma. Oh, <laughs> but I can't watch those heckler ones anymore because it's just like, too I've real? Said, it's too real. Too it's real. way too close to the material. It makes me clam up and I just don't even like it anymore. And very rarely is it something new that I haven't seen before, you know, but it's weird that people are so drawn to that, that Ugh. they want to see people get owned because it's the same as this bully karma. They want, they want to be able to watch someone get fucking owned but they wanted in the the heckler's not good heckler's not a good thing it's not like heckler wins best battle you know (laughs) it's not usually you want to see the heckler come out on top that's right it's like why stone cold steve austin was so goddamn big because he'd be beating up the boss and all the americans would be like yeah i want to beat my goddamn boss up too and that's you just want to see someone Uh, get uh, beaten up but it's okay because that person deserved it you know i like that you know our audience is a wwe (laughs) i always tie in stone cold with an analogy (laughs) of the time well thank you so much kyle buddy thanks for having me where can we see you like yuck yucks like you're on your website what's give a plug yeah to you your can website. go to funny business uh, and all my dates will be there kyle okay. hickey there uh, and then you can follow me at uh, kj hickey lol on twitter and then kyle hickey fun time at instagram and unless you're a troll don't, unless you're a troll don't oh, come on i can use follows i'll block you but you can still follow me all right well check out kyle hickey so grateful to have you in, and you can catch him at Yuck Yucks, more than average. Try the other alternative clubs as well. I saw him at the Underground recently. Awesome venue to go see Kyle. Thank you, Never Sleepers, for another episode of RNS Sleep Tight. 